shame Then the hand of Jesus touched me And now I am no longer the same He touched me my soul something happened and now I know he touched me and made me whole since I met this blessed Savior since he cleansed and made me whole. I will never cease to praise Him. I'll shout it while eternity rolls. He touched me. Oh, He touched me. He touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. song, isn't it? Let's go ahead and get the fellas up, you would, and come on down. Oh, and drop these down. For a second there, I forgot. I was thinking about we had another presentation, but we don't tonight. This is the presentation. Let me see here. I think there might be a... There we go. Yeah. All right. Well, again, this is 2015, and we've got our new theme coming up here, and we're excited about that. You'll notice that the... the uh, uh, Curtains are up there blocking the uh, new theme, and we're going to unveil it here in a little while, and uh, so we're going to get that moving along here. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate your help tonight. How are we doing on sound? All right. We okay? I don't, I don't hear it too good tonight. I don't hear it too good. All right. Certainly not like this morning, right? It's really loud this morning, unfortunately for you, huh? All right. No, that was good for you, right? Are you guys even here? <laughs> or you just can't? All right, here we go. We'll see what we can do tonight, okay? All right, so we're going to go ahead and unveil our new theme today. We're going to deal with our Vision Night. And again, it's Vision Night 2015. And what we try to do on the first uh, uh, Sunday night of January is just kind of get an idea of where we're headed, maybe just the theme that we're going to unveil and where uh, the direction we're going to go as a church as far as our philosophy, our focus. Again, obviously, we're not changing anything biblically or scripturally, but we do want to have a focus. Last year, of course, it was fight the good fight. And we wanted to fight that battle. We 
and stay in the battle. Well, this year we're going to be doing another theme, and uh, we're going to continue with it. John thought I was going to let it slip, didn't you, John? You were waiting. You were going to laugh at me, weren't you? But we're not going to get there yet. So Vision Night 2015, before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. And we're just going to ask the Lord to bless our time together today in the Word as well as as a church family. Father, thank you again for just another opportunity to gather here tonight with friends and family. Lord, as children of God, we are the, we're, 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 we're the family of God. And Lord, uh, as we come together as a church, we're not just coming together, Father, as individuals. We come together corporately. We come together as a family. We, we've been called out from the world, and we're, we're brought into this place, and we serve together, we work together, we strive together, we live together, we, we serve together. And I just pray, dear God, you'd bless us and help us this coming year. So much to be accomplished, so, so much to look forward to. But Lord, help us, Father, this uh, year to truly fulfill your purpose and plan for us and be careful that we don't get sidetracked uh, from your true purpose and plan for our ministry and our lives. We love you now. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, let's just go ahead and move along a little bit. First of all, our ministry verses. When we start talking about our verses, way back 20 years ago, we came up with some verses, and uh, there were a couple of verses that we started with. I, I felt Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me, and I will answer thee and shew thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Obviously, prayer is a major part of the ministry. It's a major part of our Christian lives. And so when Community Baptist Temple was conceived, when it began, uh, Jeremiah 33.3 was a verse that just uh, was on my heart, continues to be on my heart, and is so necessary and so important. Then also this verse in Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 3, we read, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. That's what, that's what really Community Baptist Temple is about. God's praying to God, getting answers from the Lord, seeing supernatural things that we just can't explain, uh, humanly speaking, and then uh, the world seeing that. And as a result of that, coming to Christ, recognizing the Lord in these things. And uh, many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. Because isn't that the real goal of the church? To reach people with the gospel, to continue to increase the kingdom. And so those are our ministry verses. And those are some verses that we've had from the very beginning. We've continued throughout. As a matter of fact, they're on our walls even now. And so we see them. <clears throat> 2015 theme. Now we're not going to uh, give it to you yet. But it is behind the curtain. But let me give you the verse, first of all. Let me give you the verse. We're going to be pulling it out of Nehemiah, chapter 4, verse 6 this year. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Nehemiah, chapter 4, verse 6. And that's where our, our theme is going to come out of. Do we have uh, our curtain pullers? We're going to go ahead and unveil that. Why not do that now? Just, I just can't take it anymore. We're just going to have to... <laughs> Just got to let people see it and firsthand. Are you guys ready? We need a drum roll from the crowd, please. 2015 theme. Here it is. There it is. All right. Woo. A mind to work. A mind to work. The people had a mind to work. That's our theme this year. And with that said, we want to give a kind of move along here a little bit and maybe kind of kind of understand that a little bit more where it's going. But that's our theme, and of course, it's found right out of Nehemiah chapter four, verse six. I think it's an appropriate theme this year, considering where we're headed and what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to get done. And um, 
when we think about that verse, says, so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. <clears throat> when we think about that passage, we note the project right off the bat. It says, so built. They're building something. Building projects have always been a part of God's plan. Always have. It doesn't matter where you turn in the Bible, God's building something. Building the kingdom, people, lives, even the walls. It's nothing new for God to build things. It's nothing new for God to be in the process of, of building. And so we see here the project. God's always got a project going. Whether it's in a person's life or whether it's in a, a church's life, it doesn't matter. There's always something going on. So we got a project. In 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 13, the Bible talks about, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon that foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, <clears throat> every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. The truth is that we're constantly, continually in a building program of one sort or another, in our own life even. You're building something all the time. You're building, however, either for heaven or you're basically building on earth. You're either building something that's going to last through eternity or you're building something that's going to be burned up in eternity. We're all building. And so we see the project, first of all, in, in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. Not only that, but we see the partnership. So built we, we. Again, notice there's a partnership. The relationship between Nehemiah and the people of God was important indeed. There's no doubt about that. Now, God gave Nehemiah a vision. God gave him uh, uh, just a vision that, that really would never have taken root, would never have gotten off the ground, would never have been accomplished without, of course, the cooperation of God's people. It doesn't happen. One person makes... It, it doesn't work that way with God. It's never one person. God always calls His people together to accomplish great things on His behalf. And so we see here that working together is not just recommended, but essential for it to accomplish the purpose and the plan of God. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing as we move along here this year in 2015. There's a plan. There's a purpose in this whole scheme of things. And God has that plan. Now, listen, I, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of debate on how churches should be run today. There's a number of de debates on how families should be run and how schools should be run. And, you know, this authoritarian style versus the submissive style versus this style and that style of leadership. You know, servant leadership and all these different buzzwords that we have today. But the fact is, is that God has always called a man to do something on his behalf. And then he's always said that man needs to then... Get others to rally around the vision. Churches are not great. God takes men and fulfills vision. Men leave churches and churches die. Therefore, there must be another man of God who's called of God to replace the man who leaves. Because churches don't exist in and of themselves. Moses was a man of God. Israel was great because they had a great leader. Now listen, you don't want to, people don't like to hear stuff like this today. Let me tell you something. If something die, if I die today, or if I end up leaving Community Baptist Temple, if a man of God doesn't step into this pulpit with a vision, a godly vision, this church will die. Because the people of God are always asked to follow the man of God. And in this particular case, there's always a partnership. Even back then in Nehemiah's day, there was a partnership. Nehemiah couldn't do without the people. The people couldn't do without Nehemiah. The project would never be completed, never be even started without a cooperating effort. Everybody works together. 
And that's exactly what we see in Nehemiah. That's what we see in churches today. And when you have power struggles in churches, you got problems with fulfilling the purpose and plan of God. And that, that's a problem. So fortunately, fortunately, we see here that, yes, there's projects, but there's a partnership. And today we are in a partnership. For the last three years we've been in a partnership. And we've been moving forward, and God's been blessing. And we see here that there in that day there was a partnership. The man of God, the people of God, working together. The vision would never have gotten off the ground without the cooperation of God's people. And in Psalm 33, 1, the Bible says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You ever been in a home where a husband and wife don't agree on discipline? You ever been in a home where a husband and wife don't agree on the finances? You ever, been, you ever seen a home where husbands and wives don't agree on the philosophy or the direction of that home? What is it? Chaos. Confusion. Problems. This is nothing but an expanded version of the home. That's all it is. That's all that the church is. And the moment that there's two heads in a home is the moment you got problems in the, the home, the church. And you know what? There has to be cooperation. You ever been in a home where the children don't do what mom and dad ask? You ever seen that? You say, well, that's different. It's different in a church because we're all adults. It has nothing to do with how old we are. It has nothing to do. It has to do with cooperation, unity, striving together, moving forward, putting people in their proper places, in their proper places in authority based on God's positioning. It has nothing to do with qualifications. Nothing to do with that. I took over a choir years ago, and I remember still to this day, standing in front of the choir the first day that I stood there, and I said, listen, I just want everyone in the, in the choir to understand one thing. I know there are probably people here that know music better than I do, are more qualified technically than I am. But there's not one person here that's more qualified to lead this choir than me because God put me here. He didn't put you here. He put me here. Therefore, I'm the man for the job. You say, what? That's pretty cocky. No, it isn't. It knows, it's saying, I understand where authority comes from. Amen. That's right. And you know what? The moment we understand authority, that's why some of you young people, as you get a little older, you start thinking you know everything. It doesn't matter if you're smarter than your parents. It doesn't matter if you have better grades than they had. It doesn't matter if you can go to college and they can't or didn't. They're your parents. God put them there. That means you're to honor and obey them has nothing to do with your abilities. You may be just as in, in smart, just as talented, just as creative. doesn't matter. A family never functions if the children are trying to over-trump or take charge of the parent. doesn't work that way. So the reality is, is that churches are just big families. They're big families. And there's projects. And there's a partnership. And we're working together. And in that day, they work together. They work together. And as a result of that, man, we're going to see they accomplish great things. So we see in Philippians 1.21, Only let your conversation be as it become of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you, stead, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Again, it isn't about one mind to elevate a person other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact is we're striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's the faith of the gospel that we're trying to work together on, moving forward, trying to elevate in the eyes of the world. Not a person, not even a position, 
but, a, but the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about a person, I mean, here in our church. It's not about a pastor. It's not about an assistant pastor. It's not about some Sunday school teacher or worker or anybody like that. That's not the goal. No one should ever want to be elevated other than the Lord Jesus. Just lift him up, lift him up, lift him up. And that's what they were trying to do here. Again, the passage is very clear. We're of one mind, striving together, standing fast in one spirit. Why? For the faith of the gospel, striving together. The word strive means to make efforts, to use exertions, to endeavor with earnestness, to labor hard, applicable to exertion of body or mind. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Well, the nature of the Christian life is that of labor and exertion. That's the, the nature of the Christian life. Now, when we get saved today in our, our world, it seems that if we're not careful, we, we kind of imply to people that once you get saved, all your problems will be better. Things will get smoother. Your marriage will get fixed. Your children will be obedient. Your job will be more secure. Your future will be more steadfast. Everything falls into place. Life is so good as a Christian, you never have to worry about problems. That is the kind of impression, if we're not careful, that we kind of give to people. Let me tell you something. Getting saved, entering into this family, guarantees you get to do something. Strive. The, the Christian life is about striving. And it, it's not about relaxing. It's about effort, exertion. <laughs> That's the Christian life. So the nature of the Christian life is that of labor and exertion. The only way to keep the faith of the gospel alive is to work and work hard. That's the only way we keep it going. It's not getting any easier to elevate the Lord Jesus Christ in our culture. It's not more comfortable. It's not safer than it used to be. It's not more faddish. It's not more acceptable. No, it's, if anything, it's changing. It's turning around. If anything, it's becoming more of a detriment to your health and your well-being. People don't look at you the same. They think you're fanatical. They think you're crazy. They think you're off your rocker. They think you don't you have a very good grip on reality. You really believe in a Savior that rose again? You really think you ought to sell out to Jesus Christ? I mean, come on, man. I mean, that's all for, for folklore. That's all fabricated. That's all fake and phony. No, it's not. But the fact is, is that it's going to be hard work indeed to keep the faith of the gospel alive. That's all there is to it. Let's throw in the town soul winning. Doesn't work anymore. Let's close the doors of the church on Sunday night and Wednesday night. Doesn't work anymore. Let's change our music so that we can appeal to a generation that likes that kind of music. The only way to keep the faith of the gospel really alive is to work and to work hard. It takes a lot of work. It's not going to come easy. And unfortunately, it seems to me that some are not willing to work and keeping the, the true faith of the gospel alive. We have a similitude of it, but we're starting to lose the book of Acts type faith and gospel, sadly enough. So we don't want to fall into that category. We don't even want to flirt with it. We don't even want to come close to it. So <clears throat> we see a couple of things. I've got to go back. I, I should have kept this thing on the project. Come on. There we go. The partnership. Number three. The progress. There's a project, there's a partnership, but then there's progress. All the wall was joined together. Now again, he says up to the half at this point. So I'm not going to, I don't want to take it out, but I did, I did cut it off a little bit because it sure fits a lot better up there. 
but under the half at that point. At the point that we're seeing here in chapter 4, verse 6 of Nehemiah, half the wall is completed at this point. Now, remember, you know, you had, you had Zerubbabel that took a, a group of people out a number of years earlier to come back and to establish the temple, to, to build the temple. And then Ezra shows up along the way, and he establishes the temple worship. And now we have Nehemiah who comes in Nehemiah here, chapter 4. He's, he's building the wall. He's trying to bring civil order to this whole mess and trying to protect the city. And so he's building a wall of protection around, the church, around, around this uh, city. And so he says, hey, listen, we're making some progress now. We have a project, build some walls, protect the people of God so that they can worship their God without fear of outside intrusion. We're seeing a partnership. We're working together on this thing. And we're seeing some progress now. The wall was joined together. So when God's people yoke up with God's man to accomplish the purpose and plan of God, there's nothing that can hold them back. Opposition abounded in Nehemiah's day, just like it will abound in our day. But progress continued. Now let's take a little walk through Nehemiah very quickly and note some of the opposition that they, that they experienced. First of all, in Nehemiah chapter 2, a few chapters before our particular verse, it says, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there, were, that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. That bothered them. It, it grieved them exceedingly that a man had come to take care or concerning of the welfare of the children of Israel. They were not happy that Nehemiah showed up with a vision of God to build these walls. They were not happy at all. Notice what goes on next. In Nehemiah 2.19 it says, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant of the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us. They said, What is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? And they... They despised them. They, they laughed them to scorn. They made fun of them said, Oh, you guys are a bunch of losers. I can't even believe you. You honestly think you're going to build up walls? You think you're going to make Israel great again? You really think they're going to be a, a, a nation on a hill again and a light to the world again? You're crazy. You're nuts. We, we never hear anything like that about the church, do we? We're talking about opposition. They had opposition. Nehemiah 4.1, prior to our verse, but it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. Now he's wroth. He's wroth. He's very, very, he's very angry. He took great indignation and he mocked the Jews. He's not happy. This guy had authority, by the way. He had some real authority. He, he, made, he could make life miserable for them. Nehemiah 4.7 after we read our text verse, it says, But came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites... It seems like every time I read this, it grows. There's more people upset. You notice that? I mean, before... I mean, it's like, well, now we got Sanballat, of course. We got Tobiah, yeah. Now the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites now. It just keeps growing. The opposition. Heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the beaches... Breaches... Beaches. <laughs> the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth now. Now they're not wroth, they're very wroth. It's more intense now. The opposition's growing in intensity. And, and the amount of opposition is growing. Notice that what else now? 
Nehemiah 6, 1 and 2. Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arabian, and the rest of our enemies, <laughs> it's just grown, we don't even want to list them all, heard that I built the wall and that there was no breach left therein. I mean, it's complete now. There's no, no, no areas where the wall is incomplete. It's completed now. At least the wall is. We're going to see that there's something that needs to be done yet. But he says, heard that I built the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. So the only thing left yet is he's got to get the doors on the gates of the, on, of the city now. That Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some uh, one of the villages in the plain of Oh No. Oh No is right. Oh No. <laughs> but they thought to do me what? Mischief. What do you think they meant to do to him? Trip him? Ha ha ha. Did you have a nice trip? See you next fall. That's not what they're talking about. They want to kill this guy. They want to kill him. They're that angry. They're that wroth. They're that upset with him for organizing this building project. There were definitely setbacks. There were hiccups along the way, but they overcame them, just like we'll have opposition. Just like we'll have some hiccups along the way. But the people had a mind to work. Do you know what happens when you got a mind to work? You don't have time to complain. You know what when you have a mind to work? You don't have time to be critical. Well, I think they're doing it all wrong. No, if you've got a sword in your hand, you've got a trowel in your hand in your building, you don't have time to worry about what everybody else is doing. When you're worried about the enemy attacking you and your family as you serve the Lord, it's kind of hard to be concerned about, why is so-and-so doing And why is this happening? And how's come we're doing this now? And why is this happening? And, oh, if you're busy working and protecting your own from the enemy... Man, I'll tell you what, it's, it's hard to be busy being critical. And there were setbacks, but the Bible says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Nehemiah knew that firsthand along with the people of God. They watched how the world try, tried to, to destroy them, to deceive him even, and ultimately ruin him. didn't happen. God was in the midst of all of that. So, so we note that. Number four, we see the people themselves. The people. It's interesting that the people that we're talking about had been in captivity. Remember, there was a 70-year captivity. Now, there were some that were in Assyria. There were some that uh, were in Assyrian captivity from even long before that. And then there were those that were in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Okay, now, what we're going to see is that they're, they're most believe that there was a remnant from both that came out. Okay, some will say it was just Babylonian captivity that came out. Others have tried to say that it was a, some Assyrian, some Babylonian. Primarily it was Babylonian, though. But nonetheless, they come out of captivity. They had reestablished their lives completely. Now listen, they reestablished their lives the way they did for a reason, because God had told them to. Matter of fact, God had told them to pray for the nation that was taking them over. Matter of fact, if they tried to fight Babylon, they'd be ruined and destroyed, and their families would be killed. But he said, if you will submit to, to Babylon, because uh, Bab, uh, to, to Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, I, I will allow you to live. Babylon, am I saying that right? Yeah. So nonetheless, they were to submit to that. And then they were to pray for the success and for the prosperity of this nation that was then taking them over. 
That's why men like Jeremiah were so persecuted. That's why they had such a difficult time, like Isaiah and others, when they started saying things like, you know what, we're going to be overrun, and there's no reason to fight back, and God just wants us to submit to it because we're getting what we deserve. And they were like, nuh-uh, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And all the prophets kept running around. Interesting thing, I read it this morning. It was so good. He, he, he ultimately is critical of the preachers, basically, the, the prophets, because, because they prophesied from their, get this, this is so good. They prophesied from their heart. They prophesied from their heart. You know, we're always going, you need to preach from your heart. You, you need to make the decision from your heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Right, Do you know what the problem is? When a pastor stands behind the pulpit and shares his heart, he needs to share the Word of God, not his heart. His heart's as wicked as everybody out there. He needs to share the Word of God. And I understand when we say heart sometimes, we kind of consider it being, you know, just from the, from the heart, meaning from his most inner being. Yeah, that's sinful. I learned something this morning when I read the Bible. Isn't that funny how you learn things when you read the Bible? And I realized that as a pastor, it's not up to me. I'm not, to post, I'm not supposed to share my heart with you. My only responsibility is to share that word, his heart with you. And that's what the people of God were doing. And you know, let me tell you, in our culture, in our country today, we have a lot of preachers sharing their heart. Man, they move you emotionally. They are good at what they do. And they're sincere as sincere can be. But if you're not on target in that word, guess what? You are a, a snake in the grass. No better than the false prophets that were telling Israel, hey, king, people, we're not going to be overrun by Nebuchadnezzar. We're not going to be overrun by Babylon. We're going to be perfectly fine because God wouldn't let that happen. That's exactly what they were telling. And then the real prophets were getting stoned and thrown in prison and killed. They weren't sharing their heart. They were sharing the Word of God. <laughs> it wasn't very pleasant at that point. So we see that these came out of captivity. They had reestablished their lives all over again, but now they were determined to return to the land and restore and resume the faith and worship of their forefathers. They had a temple now, and, and they had worship restored. They had to go back. We're going to restore now the walls. We're going to bring this all up to speed now. And so they left those lives behind now. They come from all walks of life. They, they come from all kinds of, of uh, I guess, professional... Um, uh, what do I want to call it? Um, different jobs and different kind of responsibilities. Some were you know, worked with their hands. Others may have been farmers. Others were this or that. It doesn't matter, but they were all from different walks of life. Yet they had this common thread holding them together. And that common thread was none other than their faith and the God that they served. It was the faith and the God they served. That's what held them together. Amen. See, there's not one of us in this room that's alike tonight. We're not alike. I mean, there's things about us that are alike. What? what? What brings us together? What holds us together? What bonds us together? Christ. And that's why it's so important that your relationship with Christ is what it ought to be. And my relationship with Christ is what it ought to be. Because when our relationship with Christ as a whole is right, then we get along with one another. But you know what happens? When our relationship with Christ goes awry, goes south, guess what? All of a sudden, other people look really bad to us. 
Because we're not on the same sheet of music anymore. We're not in agreement on the direction of the church. We're not, in, we're not com- in compliance with where we ought to end up and how we ought to get there. All of a sudden we have our own ideas and our own philosophies and we can't figure out why all these people are behind the pastor. He's just so outrageous and he's so self-absorbed. And You've never heard churches run into those problems, have you? Some of you have been around a few years. Some of you have been in other churches. If, you, if you've never been outside of this church, let me tell you something. You don't know what you've been missing. Trust me, you don't want to leave. You, you ain't missing nothing. But it gets crazy in churches, I'm telling you. Because why? Because when it's all said and done, when we lose sight of our personal faith and our relationship with God individually, then all of a sudden it's hard for us to relate to our brothers and sisters in the church. And we, all we do is find reasons why they're wrong or they're not doing things right. We've got to be careful that we are walking in the Spirit. I'm not saying you don't, agree, you don't have to agree with every little detail that's going on. That's not what I'm talking about. But there is an idea and there, there's an ideal and there is a vision and there's a focus and there's a direction and there's a destination. We say, yes, indeed. We want to reach every soul we can. And we want to take Akron by storm. And we want to take the communities around it by storm. We want God to be real and we want Him to be seen and we want Him to be glorified. And we want Him exalted in this place. And we know that that bus ministry is accomplishing that. And we understand that reaching out with our soul winning program is important because that helps people come to Christ. And that's what we're all about. And we want God to do something here. And we want God to do something in our city but if we lose sight of what it's what it's really about and when we no longer have the heartbeat of God for souls and for people then all of a sudden other things become important the people were all walks of life different incomes and different social statuses and and possibly even to some degree some uh, possible racial issues if they were from Assyria and so forth But they had a common thread, their faith and God. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. That's this group right here. Everybody's like, yeah, but I think everybody has this. It's like with marriage now. Isn't it great? A woman gets married to a guy, a guy gets married to a woman. Don't ever lose your identity. Don't ever lose your identity. Don't allow him to swallow up your identity. I thought we became one in marriage. I think that was the biblical, that's how it's supposed to work, right? Well, you don't have to have anybody telling you how you ought to live and feel and think. Who's saying anything about that? But let me tell you something. My identity is useless. Without my wife now, I have no identity. We're one flesh. I lose who I, if I lose her, I lose half of who and what I am. That's why when you lose a spouse in this room, some of you have, you know how much it hurts. Because you're not losing just a somebody. You're losing part of yourself. That's how God intended it to be. And you know what we are here? We're one body. We lose people. It hurts. Because we're one. We're not just a group of individuals. We're a family. So that's a bunch of rhetoric. Okay, believe what you want. I'll just believe the Bible. We're all baptized into one body. 
whether it be Jews or Gentiles, whether it be bond or free, and have all been made to drink one spirit. We're all one in Christ. But then when we, in this day and age with the local church, we are called out and brought into this local assembly. All believers, all in the same body, all same Savior, and all to serve the same Lord. The people. An interesting group of people, I'm sure. Just like we are. But finally, the perspective. They had a mind to work. As I said before, this mind to work really makes an impact and a difference in a, in a group. I, I, you know, when I was a kid growing up, <clears throat> if there was one thing that was ingrained in my mind, it was just pounded in my soul, was you need to be a hard worker. You need to be a hard worker. You need to be a hard worker. You never be afraid of hard work. Don't ever be afraid of hard work. You always step in. You see a job that needs done. Don't you be afraid to get your hands dirty. You get in there and work. And that's how, don't, it doesn't matter whether it's your job or not. If you see work that needs done, get in there and get it done. That's how I was raised. I was raised to have a mind to work. And like I said, when I'm in the middle working, at times it's a little harder to see everything that needs to be fixed. I'm working too hard, too busy focusing. These people had a mind to work. I'm sure there were things about the job that they didn't appreciate sometimes. Can you imagine you're holding a sword in one hand? The husband's standing there when the wife takes a trial along with the kids and they put some mud on the bricks and start piling up these walls, building these walls out there in the hot sun. They, they got trumpets in their hands, some of them, just to warn the people in the event that the enemy starts attacking. Well, what about my wife? And what about my kids? Where's the food we need? We're really starving here. We're having a hard time making it. It's really hot out here and we don't have the provisions we need. Nehemiah, what's the problem here? You say God called us to this project. You say God meant us to do this work. And all of a sudden now here we are stuck on this wall, building a wall. And, we, and what about my family could die today? Exactly. Sure could. But you put enough bricks down, you kind of get engrossed in your work. You realize that's what it's really about. Because when you look back later, you go, wow, we're making progress. Okay, I, I don't, I, I mean, they, they had a lot of reasons to give up and quit. But they didn't. Because they had the right perspective. It isn't about my personal comfort. It isn't about me being elevated or magnified amongst the group. It's not about who gets the praise and the glory. It's about getting the job done. And they had a mind to work. Because of their common bond, God and faith, they were equally committed to the work of God. They had a mind to work, a willingness to sacrifice and even suffer if need be in order to accomplish the purpose of God. Nothing great has ever been accomplished for God in this world without sacrifice and suffering. That's all there is to it. Cost people. Cost. The greatest men and women in the history of Christianity, why do we remember them? Because of the great price they paid. If they didn't pay a great price, you don't know about them. You only know about the ones that paid a great price. And you want to know something? Nothing we do this year, whether it's soul winning, whether it's working in a building, no matter what it is, it's going to cost us something. Not just money, it's going to cost us something as individuals. It's just the way it is. But remember, we're to strive together. Striving is not something that's comfortable. Striving is exertion work. We need a mind to work. 
our Lord, he recognized the need to work. Jesus Christ, John 9, 4 and 5. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, he said. He understood that there was only so much time to get the job done. Therefore, he had a mind to work. Nobody in the room would ever, ever debate the fact whether or not Jesus Christ had a mind to work. You know, here he is. He says, I had nowhere to lay my head. A rock for a pillow. He says, every time I go to get away from the masses, I realize there's more needs. I find myself being drawn to the people even when I need personal rest, even when I personally need to eat. I'm finding myself in a position where all I have are needs before me. And I, I'm so compelled to meet those needs. That was the Lord. Every once in a while we saw him getting away. And guess when he prayed? Anybody remember when he prayed? Every time, at least when it's recorded, other than the Garden of, Garden of Gethsemane. He's either in the wilderness, alone, praying what, 40 days and nights. Every time Jesus gets away, notice he prays at night. You ever wonder why he did that? Because that's when other people were sleeping. Otherwise, he didn't have time to himself. That's the sacrifices Jesus made. He prayed at night because that's when the phone stopped ringing. He prayed at night because that's when the needs slowed down because everybody else was trying to get a good night's rest. He was stuck praying preparing for them the next morning. We must also possess a mind to work now that Christ has ascended. Why? Because we're the light of the world now. Jesus isn't here anymore, but who, who is? We are. A mind to work. Matthew five fourteen. You're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and give it light unto all that are in the house. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We need to possess a mind to work. So we see here in uh, chapter 4, verse 6 of the book of Nehemiah a wonderful truth. The people of God had a mind to work. That's our theme, a mind to work. Why would I say that? Why, why would I feel compelled that that was a good direction to go, that God would lead that on my heart? Because we had a whole different, a whole different theme, honestly, <laughs> up until about, just about a month ago. And um, this just popped out, and, and, and it just made so much sense, and it was so personally right. Whoops, there's our theme song. We're going to move along here. This year, when we consider a mind to work, we're going to look at it from three aspects this year. A mind to work for the faith. A mind to work for the family and a mind to work for the future. Those are the three areas we're going to work on. I'm going to bring three series again this year like I did last year. The first series will be a mind to work for the faith. We're going to talk about that this year a little bit. And then we're going to talk about the family. Listen, no family in the world is successful without work. It, we, we like to believe it just happens. I, I, I always get a kick out of people. You're so lucky, preacher. You got a, you had a good wife and good kids. You're so lucky. Yeah, I never, I never worked at it at all. Never applied any biblical principles. It just happened. You say, oh, you're tooting your own horn? No, I'm just telling you. You don't get muscles like this without working out? Amen. And you don't have families and you don't have ministries and you don't have uh, businesses without working at them. You've got to work at things if you want them to prosper. It takes effort. And the family's no different. The faith, yes, but also the family. And we're going to look at the family a little bit maybe just for a few weeks, in our, the course of our, our theme. Because I want husbands to understand, you need a mind to work. I want wives to understand, you need a mind to work. And unfortunately, even young people today, we, we kind of give the impression that all they have to do is just eat, sleep, go to school, and have a good time until they're out of college. 
but they need a mind to work too. The family functions properly when everybody's pulling their weight. A mind to work for the family. A mind to work for the future. I believe our greatest challenge this year will likely be keeping the main thing the main thing. That's what I believe. I said that last year, but now I know it's really going to be a problem. Um, Every week we have probably a two-hour, three-hour meeting at the carousel. Minimum. Brother brother, uh, Kavanaugh has more meetings than that. Um, But there's a lot of effort that goes into our staff. Our staff does a lot of things that you never see and never hear about. And and one of the things that's difficult, and, and if I could tell you this, the staff was out at least two days a week other than Saturdays, soul winning this year. That's a requirement I made. Myself and the staff were out at least two days a week other than Saturdays. Why did I do that? Because the main thing has to stay the main thing. doesn't matter how busy we get with the buildings. doesn't matter how busy we get with the work of God. doesn't matter how many needs are in this building. If we don't keep the main thing the main thing, and that's reaching souls and striving to make a difference in our community and in the lives of those that Jesus Christ came to die for, we'll have missed the boat. We've missed it. So we have to schedule those things. One of the biggest challenges you and I will have this year is we find ourselves at that carousel putting up walls, running wire, doing whatever needs done to make that happen so we can take those steps into that building this year, open the doors, and watch the public flock in to hear the gospel. It's going to cause us some real distractions in this area of keeping the main thing the main thing. The first thing we want to give up is our soul winning. And then we're going to start questioning whether or not we should be having these nights because then all of a sudden I don't feel like coming to church anymore and the bus ministry is going to suffer because we're there all day on Sundays already. And, and I'm going to tell you something, and we're going to have to work with that. We're going to have to deal with those things. But we have to keep the main thing the main thing at Community Baptist Temple. And, you know, it's a challenge. Why is it a challenge? Because, as we said, there's a big project going on up there, massive project. And, and if, if I can be so bold to say it this way, at this point, if, if, if we paid contractors to do the whole job, we'd have $700,000 we have to come up with. You know how much we got in our bank account? Three hundred. There you go. We've got a house that needs to sell. Hopefully we'll be at three fifty dollars or so. We have a, we have a building fund uh, offering that I'm hoping we get over 100000 at this coming end of February. We're going to have to pitch in a little bit. It's going to take a lot of work. We're going to have to have a mind to work to get this done. And it's going to change our families. It's going to change our outlook as individuals. It's going to change our community. It's going to make a difference. The only problem is we're going to need a mind to work. Say, you're scaring me. Oh, it'll be all right. We'll get through it. They got through it, didn't they? At least we don't have to worry about somebody stabbing us with a sword. Some of you are laughing. Some of you are going, that's not funny because I don't like what I'm hearing. No, I know you're not saying that. I'm joking. My wife always says, why do you say stuff like that? Because nobody's saying that stuff. And I say, well, I just say it because maybe there's one person. 2015 big days. Okay, keeping the main thing the main thing. 
Look how, look how busy our schedules. These are just some of the main things. We got our couples retreat coming up in January. In February, we got our dinner series and our building fund. In March, we've got the men's conference and the spring revival. In April, we've got our spring campaign. I would say spring revival. We're talking about Brother Ricky Moon's going to come in and preach for about four days. And before that, at our men's conference on a Sunday, we're going to have our men's conference, and then we're going to have Brother um, Hamblin in on Sunday all day, two weeks before our spring revival. Then we're going to have April, our spring campaign. That's four weeks. Then we've got June, our singles conference. You say, what's that? You know, you have, we have a youth conference around here. I'm starting a singles conference. Amen. I want singles to come from all around to come to Community of West Temple and meet girls and boys and have a good time and find some people that they're co- have some common things in, int- uh, common, common things, in, you know, in store, or whatever I want to call it. <laughs> whatever. I'm, I'm talking babbling on here. But uh, singles conference. I, I'm all for young people meeting good young people. I, I really am. And uh, we got some great singles. And uh, they might be put into contact with some other young people that ultimately will, you know. <laughs> and so in July... We have our VBS and our, our uh, Teen Spectacular. In August, we have our football camp. In September, we have fall promotion. And in October, we have our ladies' advance again. We have our missions conference. In November, we have another men's conference to go to down in Mansfield. At least for now, that's on the schedule. And in December, we have our New Year's Eve service along with who knows what else will happen, depending on how soon we get into the buildings and where we're at. You know, who knows if we'll have Christmas program, things like that. We're not sure yet. Depends on what time we get in there. But, I mean, there's a lot going on at Community Baptist Temple. We've got to be careful we don't lose sight of the main things. We, we take this spring campaign. We take fall promotions. Those can't get buried because we've got a building that needs fixed, needs built. We can't, we can't do that. We've got soul winning on Saturdays. We can't throw that all away. Will we modify our schedule maybe at times based on necessity? Potentially, possibly, but will we throw it down the tubes? Without a doubt, no. Can't afford to. I want you to pray that as a church, we never lose. We do not lose. The main thing is the main thing. We can't let that happen to us. Exhausted as we may be, we cannot throw away the main thing. Before we give up soul winning, we give up the building. That's the priorities. Do you hear what I said? That building is not as important as us being obedient to God and reaching the world with, for the lost. Because there's no reason to have a church if we're not obeying God. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Why would God bless us as a church if we're not even doing what He wants us to do? I'm screwing in screws and I'm putting up drywall and I'm doing all this stuff. That's fine. Don't give up your soul in it. Right. Amen. God will work that all out. Somehow, some way, He'll work it out. But we can't give up the main thing. We can't do it. And uh, my goal is not to run anybody in the ground, that's for sure. But uh, my goal is to try to help and to make sure that we are safe and that we don't wreck and ruin our lives in the process. <laughs> so a mind to work. A mind to work. Now, we have another, this other issue of a theme song. We got a new theme song. Why don't you guys come on up and share that with us, would you? We're going to sing this for us. And I want you to hear the theme song. It's a good one this year. And they're going to share that with us here. And then we're going to close this out here. Just a moment.
with a mind to work. I will give my all. I will serve you, Lord. I will answer the call. We will teach. We will train. We will baptize in your name. I will go. With a mind to work, I will give my all. I will serve you, Lord. I will answer the call. We will teach. We will train. We will baptize in your That's a good little theme song, isn't it? Joshua, you did a good job on that. The um, year is going to be filled with so many wonderful things. We just have so much to look forward to. And obviously our building is huge, but again, to think about what God's going to do with us as a church, reaching people with the gospel, that's what it's really about. I want you to be praying as we go into 2015, as we consider this theme, a mind to work, that we'll say, Lord, give me a mind to work. Give me a mind to work. May I not want to have any, I have no desire to sit on the sidelines. I want to be involved. I want to be plugged in. I want a mind to work. Let's ask the Lord to give us that mind this year and take steps. We can't all do what, everybody can't do the same amount of work and there's going to be some that can do more than others and we understand all that. But even if you can't do as much, you can do something. And God's just asking you to do what you can. You can't do any more than you can. And so let's pray that God will give us a mind to work. Let's all stand to our feet. Just a moment, we're going